Good morning, y'all. We're in the house, man. That is so cool. It is so fun to have some people here. Like, you don't know that before the last, whatever, five, six, seven weeks, however long it's been, one of those cameras has been on a tripod, like right kind of in the middle, and the camera Nazi trip is like, look at the camera. He tells, Stephen's already walked off stage, he's, look at the camera, look at the camera. But Stephen and, and I both are like, we want to look at people. Like, and you, if you don't know, you can't see people through a camera. So you're looking at the camera, and I kind of feel like I ended up doing a good job, but Tripp was scolding Stephen all the time. Look at the camera. So we had him actually turn the lights up so that you really couldn't see that there was not people in the seat. So my point is, it is so cool to have some people here and not just, anyway. So with that said, with that said, for the last couple of weeks, y'all, we've, we've been in a, uh, in a message series called Eyewitness. Eyewitness. I hope y'all have been watching online the first couple of weeks of this series. And we're going through four accounts, four interactions that, uh, that people had with the risen Christ, with Jesus after he ran out of the grave alive, four kind of interactions that happened. Last week, we talked about the, the interaction with Thomas, you know, with doubting Thomas and what happened to, uh, to him when he finally saw the nail-scarred um, hands of Christ. And we talked about the fact, at least last week, we talked about the fact that the Lord will provide what he determines and when he determines, but what he determines we need to believe. Because if you remember, the Gospel of John is all about, and we were in John 20 last week, it's all a believe, believe, believe. That word is used more times in John than any other book, actually than, than all three of the other Gospels combined, the word believe. So John is about believe, believe, and belief. Today we're going to be at the end of the, of the Gospel of John, um, actually the Gospel according to the disciple that Jesus loved. That, that's, that's, how John, that's what John calls himself. You know, he referred to himself all throughout his writings as the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And John's gospel was written about 20-ish years after uh, the apostle Peter died. But I think that, that John liked to poke Peter a little bit. So when he's saying, um, y'all know what I mean when I say poke? Poke, like get on him a little bit by saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. And even when they raced to the grave, John is like, I beat Peter to the grave because I ran. Uh, so I think John just likes to, to jab maybe a little bit at Peter, even 20 years after the fact, you know, when he wrote his gospel. But anyway, I digress. Back to John 21 is where we're going to be. And, and we're going to talk about a restored relationship today. And that's the relationship between Jesus and Peter and, and how at the end of the day, how that... Um, how that models for me and you a, a proper relationship with Christ. And, and y'all, you got to know that what is really of utmost importance is our relationship with Christ, not our relationship with this church, not our, relation, our, our relationship with, uh, with your growth group, not the relationship with some uh, doctrine or theology, not even your relationship with your husband or your wife or your kids, or, or with your Christian friends, 
is really not any of that. It's what is the condition of your relationship with Jesus? So John 21, Peter. So here's this Peter guy who had spent three years with, uh, three plus years with Jesus in a pretty intense relationship. If you read through really all of the gospels, Peter's relationship was an intense one with Christ, but he understood fully, I think, Christ to be God in human flesh. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah. By the way, did y'all get worship guides? Because they're out there. If you didn't get a worship guide, raise your hand and we'll, we want to put one uh, in your hand. God, I hadn't said that in about six or seven weeks either. Um, Peter, he understood Jesus to be the Messiah. He knew that he was God. He understood the miraculous power that Jesus had. He understood that there was nobody like him. Y'all, even the haters kind of knew that nobody had ever spoken the way that Christ spoke. Nobody had ever done the things that Jesus did. And so Peter certainly understood as much as any man could really understand him. He understood who Christ was and he even was bold enough to occasionally, Peter would get into it with Jesus a little bit, even on a couple of occasions to rebuke Jesus. But when test time came, when the rubber really kind of met the road, he fell apart and he denied Jesus three times and he ran, and he ran away with his tail tucked between his legs. So, so in John 21, Jesus comes to restore Peter and we find that the condition of Peter's relationship with Christ, it just isn't quite what it ought to be. How's your relationship with him? That's really what we're going to talk about today. So last week and the week before, uh, I believe that we saw Cleopas. And here's a test whether you were watching and remembering the message from two weeks ago. What was the other dude's name that was with Cleopas on the, uh, on the Emmaus Road? Nameless dude. Nameless dude. So we saw Cleopas and Nameless guy. And, and then I think we saw Thomas. I think we got an image of them getting saved. Uh, in, in the text. And so that was the uh, last week and the week before. Today, I think with Peter, I think that Peter was a believer at this time. I think the image that the scripture paints of Peter um, in his remorse and in his repentance as the rooster crowed, if y'all remember the rooster crowing on the third time that he denied Christ, what did he do when the rooster crowed? The, the, the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. And I think he wept bitterly because he was immediately confronted with the, this cataclysmic human weakness. And I think his heart was filled with remorse. And I think his heart was filled um, with repentance. And so I think Peter is a believer at this time. So today, our, the primary text we're going to be in is in John 21. It's going to start in verse 15. And we're probably going to run to about verse <coughs> excuse me, 22. But I want to give you the backstory to get the context right of what starts in verse 15. I want to kind of paint this story for you of those first four, 13 or 14 verses. And Jesus had told his, the risen Jesus, had told uh, his guys, he said, go to Galilee and, and meet me, uh, wait for me on a mountain there, and, I'm, and I'll be there. He says, I'll meet you all there, Jesus does. And so they all gathered together, Peter uh, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other guys. And Peter told them, those other guys, Peter told them that he said, I'm going fishing. And they said, all right. 
Y'all, how do you spell I? A-I-G-H-T, that's a southern word, I. So, so Jesus, uh, who apparently was from the southern part of the northern part of Israel or something, he says, I, we're going to come too. So Peter was a leader. Peter was a leader. Peter, people followed Peter. Now, in this case, I really mean that, that Peter could lead people to flatly, blatantly, without thinking, without considering, to disobey what the Lord had said. Because um, the Lord had said, go to Galilee, go to a mountain there and wait till I get there. And Peter said, I'm going to wet a line. Y'all know what wetting a line is? Wetting a line is going fishing. So Peter says, I'm going to wet a line. And everybody said, we're coming too. Because Le Peter was influential. And so they listened to him and they did that. Now, all things considered, here's what I really think that Peter was saying. I think Peter was saying, I am permanently going back to what I used to do. Peter was a fisherman. When Jesus called him, he was a fisherman. And so I think he's saying, I'm permanently going back to what I used to do. And he may very well and probably was thinking, you know, I have really been a total failure at being an apostle. I mean, when it came down to crunch time, I bailed. I, I, I bailed and I denied Jesus. And I did it three times. And I can't keep my foot out of my mouth. I've said so much dumb stuff. Any of y'all ever feel like all of what I just said? Like I've said so much dumb stuff that I just can't recover from. He said, he's probably thinking I nearly drowned because of my lack of faith. If you remember when Peter jumped out of the boat, you know, and he's walking on the water and then he took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw a shark or something and he fell in. I don't know, he, he, he's saying I almost drowned. He's thinking I almost drowned because of my lack of faith. So maybe it's just better if I just go back to doing what it is that I used to do. I'm out, I'm gone, I'm going fishing. And the other guys that are there who probably felt pretty much like failures themselves, they said, well, we'll go too. And so they get in the boat and they go out that night and they go fishing and they catch nada. Y'all know what shooting a goose egg is? They caught nothing. They're fishing, they catch nothing. And Peter's thinking, Probably on the way out, Peter's thinking, I, I, you know, I may not be a, much of an apostle, but I know one thing, I can fish. And the Lord is saying, no, no, you can't. You can't fish if there's no fish for you to catch. And so they went out and they caught nothing, which is hard to do if you're a professional fisherman to fish all night long and catch nothing. And so when day is breaking that next morning, um, Jesus is standing on the, on the beach and the disciples don't really at this point, they don't really know it's him. But he had gotten there just like he said he was going to do, only he had to go down and find them because they weren't on the mountain where he told them to be. And he says to them, um, kids, and I think this is verse 13 or 14. He says, um, kids, and he doesn't say kids, that's me. He says, kids, you haven't caught any fish, have you? And so they scream back, they answer him, no. Now that tells us that they can't be all that far out in the water if they scream back to him and say no. So he tells them to throw to the other side of the boat, which they did, and they couldn't even get all the fish in because it was just too many to get in, but they were on the other side of the boat. And so they look at the shore, and John says to Peter, it's the Lord. It's got to be. It's got to be him. So when Peter, this is so Peter, when Peter heard that it was Jesus, John tells him it's Jesus, Peter, as so typical, he grabs his coat and he just jumps in the water. 
He doesn't say, hey, we'll be there in a minute. We're only like 50, 60 yards from the, from the shore. We'll be there in a minute. No, he just grabs his stuff. And who grabs a coat and puts a coat on and then jumps in the water? Like a wetsuit or something maybe, but he puts his coat on and he jumps in the water and he swims in because Peter is so impulsive stuff. He just does stuff before and says stuff before processing it through his brain. But Peter also had issues, um, what would be the word, sustaining his relationship with Christ, but he really wanted it to be right. Like he really wanted the relationship to be right, and he hated his betrayal. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I want my relationship with Christ to be right so bad, but then I do something or say something stupid, and in my brain I've just wrecked my relationship with him. So that's Peter, and he hated the betrayals. It's not like he said, hey, I think I'm going to deny Jesus three times today. He hated that about himself. So when they get to the land, they see that Jesus had made some breakfast. And now we're getting to the text, 12 and a half minutes in. We're getting to where we're going to start today. That's in verse 15. That was a long introduction. But verse 15, but you needed, kind of needed that back story. Verse 15 says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we can't be a thousand percent sure what or who these is referring to. Some people would say that it, these is referring to the fish or the net because they had a boatload of fish, right? That the these is referring to the fish or the nets or his boat or his business or his family, maybe. Other people would say that the these is referring to the other guys that were there. Jesus saying, do you love me more than them? But the word that's used is not them, it's these. The word that's used in the text is not them, it's these. But that's the way we tend to understand it. And if you've ever read that passage, probably you understood it to be talking about the other guys. Do you love me more than you love them? But just know that's not what the text says. It says these. I'm not completely sure, but here's what I believe he's really saying is Peter. Dude, am I number one on the list of the things that you love? Do you love me more than everybody? Do you love me more than everything? More than these six guys, more than the nets, more than the boat, more than your fishing business, more than your wife. In fact, do you love me more than you love yourself? Everything. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on, verse 15 goes on, and it says, he said to him, this is Peter said to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. That's Bible language for he was ticked, right? Peter was grieved. Why? Because he, Jesus, said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, uh, feed my sheep. Why you reckon three times uh, he said that? Thank you very much. Who said that? Good answer. I think it is, but if y'all didn't hear that, I'll tell you. Because Peter had denied Jesus three times, and I think each of the three times that Jesus says this to Peter in verses uh, 15, 16, 17, I think he was giving Peter an opportunity to be restored, 
Like, y'all do know that restoration is possible, right? No matter what. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about the way that you feel. No matter how broken you may think you are, no matter um, how broken you may feel like you are, no matter what you did in the past, no matter what you may do in the future, no matter what you did last night, it, do, it, 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 it doesn't matter for the restoration. Now, could there be consequences? Of course. But if you are breathing today, then restoration is possible. It is the Lord that created you. It is the Lord that, um, that breathed life into you, into me, into Peter. So it is the Lord who can bring restoration to stuff that's broken, right? Little village in Switzerland, and there is a beautiful church. The name of the church is Mountain Valley Cathedral. Magnificent place, big, huge marble columns and big, old, just picturesque um, stained glass windows. But what makes this church, this mountain, did my voice just change? <laughs> Hello. Um, but what makes this church super special is the most beautiful pipe organ in all of Switzerland. And people would come from all over the place to hear the tunes that would come out of this organ. And, and like at some point along the line, the, uh, the sound, uh, it went haywire. Something happened and the sound of this organ kind of went haywire and the, it got all jacked up. And they got musicians and technicians and, and experts from all over the world to come look at this organ and, and try to repair it, but nobody could repair this organ. It had been created wonderfully and uniquely, and nobody really knew how to fix the organ. And at the end of the day, they just gave up on trying to get it repaired. And after several years, this old dude came to visit the church. And after the worship was over, I think this was in the 50s or 60s, after the worship was over, he asked some of the staff, he said, hey man, what, what, like, what was wrong? How come the organ didn't play today? And they told him, the staff said, it's just not playing right, and so we haven't used it in quite some time. And the old guy says, hey, let me see what I can do. And since the organ had just kind of been there and not being played, the staff reluctantly, but they agreed to give the old man a shot. And for two days, in, in virtual silence, he worked on that organ. And the church staff, kind of after almost two days, uh, truth be told, they were starting to get a little bit nervous. But then on the third day, at about noon, suddenly the music came. And the old, bro, this old broken organ started pumping out really the, the best sound ever. All over that village in Switzerland, people were coming. They heard the sound, and they were coming to the church to see what was going on. And the old man was playing the organ. And when he finished, there's a little old lady in the village uh, when he finished. And she asked him, how did you fix that thing? It hadn't worked in years, how did you manage to restore this magnificent instrument when the world's experts couldn't? And the old man said, I'm the one that created it. He said, I'm the one that built it. He said, I created it with these hands and because I'm the one that created it, I'm the one that can restore it. Y'all, that is exactly what God does. He created everything. He created the universe and that includes me and that includes every one of y'all. And sin destroyed this life, and it's no longer good, and it's no longer perfect. It's broken. But then Jesus enters the scene to restore it, 
and to provide us, me and you, with an abundant and eternal life. So, jump back to John 21. You know, the first two times, and you're going to see a bunch of scribble on the screen, the first two times that Jesus asked asked Peter, do you love me? The word that Jesus used for love is agape. Y'all ever heard of agape? Y'all say that with me, one, two, three. Agape. Agape love is all out, sold out, sacrificial love. That's the word that Jesus uses the first two times. English, we just have love, so you just read it, love. But it's all out divine sacrificial love. The word that Peter responds with when Peter says, you know that I love you, is phileo. Phileo, you reckon the city Philadelphia comes from the word phileo, and Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. Phileo is brotherly affection. So Jesus says, do you all out, sold out, love me? And Peter says, I have brotherly affection for you. But in English, you don't get that because we only have one word that we can use, and that's love. And so Peter says, I have great affection for you. Now, the third time, though, it's kind of odd. The third time that Jesus asked the question, he lowers the bar a little bit. And he uses the same word, the third time, the same word that Peter used, phileo, this brotherly, uh, affectiony kind of love. And even question that Peter even had that kind of love. And so consider that Peter may be saying in his first two answers, well, I can't go quite as far as claiming agape love, but I could probably go down the phileo road. And so this third time that Jesus questions Peter, he's like, I'm not even sure that you can claim brotherly love for me. And so here's what I think Peter is saying that's packed into that verse, that third answer, is like, Lord, don't focus, please, Lord, don't focus on the way that I've acted. Don't, please don't focus on the way that I've done in the past. Lord, you, and he says this, you know everything, and you, you kind of can know that he's pleading, like you know everything. You know, Lord, that I love you. You know my heart. If anybody knows my heart, Lord, you know my heart. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep, then tend to my sheep. And so with all of that said, I think the, the first ingredient of, of having a proper relationship uh, with Jesus is loving him. So when you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, what is the condition of my relationship with Jesus? When you do that, you got to ask, do I love him absolutely more than anyone or anything else ever? So that's the first thing on the list of, of these ingredients today. And I don't think it's just chronologically first. I think it is of first importance. I think everything else is going to fall up under that issue. So the second ingredient now in this right relationship with the Lord, you're going to see this in verse 18. In a, in, in, so in restoring a relationship, the first thing that Jesus deals with is this love thing. And then he says in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, he's talking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And so there's this second piece, this second ingredient in this relationship. And what he is saying to Peter is, Peter, 
Dude, when you were a kid, you kind of ruled your own life. You pretty much did what you wanted. You got yourself dressed. You put on your own belt. You put on your own um, cloak. You, you kind of went wherever you wanted. You were kind of in control of your life yourself. But when you're old, you're going to stretch your hands out. And that is speaking to being nailed to a cross. Hands spread out. You're going to be taken to a place that you really don't want to be, to a place that you will absolutely not be in control. He said, they're going to tie you up like a convict and haul you off. And then verse 19 says, this, is, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so John clears it up there in case you think he's not talking about crucifixion. John clears it up and, tells, and says that's exactly what I'm talking about. So the second ingredient in a relationship with Christ is, you think I'm going to say, y'all got to be crucified. No, the second ingredient in this relationship, in, in a right relationship, is sacrifice, y'all. It's sacrificing for him. It's sacrificing for him. I'm not saying to you that you are going to have to give you physically, give your life for him. I'm not saying that. However, I would say this about myself. I hope and I pray that if I had to do that, that I would do it. I hope and I pray that if the jihadist dude has got me on my knees on a beach in Libya with a knife at my throat, I would hope that I would say okay. And I hope I would, I would look up and I would praise the Lord and say cut away, bruh. I hope I would do that and I pray that I would do that. But it's sacrifice, y'all. It's sacrificing for him. So sacrifice, what do you reckon? What is sacrifice? I think that it is super linked to love. That's why I said I think love is the overarching thing, but I think sacrifice is linked to it. This idea of sacrificial love, I believe that sacrifice is best defined as giving up something you love for something you love more. It's not giving up something you don't care about for something you love. That's not sacrifice. That's not sacrifice. Giving up something you love for something you love more. So Jesus says, follow me. But I'm telling you, Peter, right now, at the end of the day, it's going to cost you your life. So do you still want to follow me? That's like what he's saying to him. And for sure, a major indication, a major symptom of love is sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's a yardstick of love. The depths of our love, the how intense and passionate our love is, it really shows up and it really displays itself, y'all, in sacrifice. There's a magazine called The Christian Leader, and I read this article about uh, this guy wrote about Ernest Gordon's miracle on the River Kwai, which was a, a World War II event. And so you had these Scottish uh, soldiers who were in a Japanese a prison camp, a Japanese labor camp uh, during World War II. And the Japanese, their Japanese captors, um, they were forcing them to inhumanely labor on a jungle railroad. And through doing that over so much time, the soldiers who were treated so inhumanely, they kind of became barbaric themselves in their behavior. But then one afternoon something happened. At the first tool checkpoint, they're out in the jungle headed to the, um, to the railroad where they're working, and they have a tool check. And at the first tool check, um, there was a uh, Japanese officer who was in charge, flips a gasket because a shovel was missing. And he says, you know, you, somebody better come up with a shovel 
or else. And so when nobody in, uh, in this, this squadron of prisoners budged, the officer pulls out his gun, the Japanese officer pulls out his gun, and he threatens to kill every one of them on the spot because he really wasn't messing around. They were brutal, brutal, brutal people during World War II. And so finally this one guy steps forward and he said, I lost it. I lost the shovel. And the officer puts his pistol away and he picks up a shovel and he beat the guy to death. And, and the other soldiers pick up the guy's corpse and they carry it to the next tool check, the, next, the second tool check. And this time, no shovel was missing. You know why no shovel was missing? Because they had miscounted at the first tool check. So he killed this dude. This dude sacrificed his life ultimately for nothing because there, there was no missing shovel. And so the word spread like wildfire throughout their camp that an innocent man had been willing to, absolutely willing to die to save the others. And what it, it had this profound effect on the whole camp. They began to treat each other like brothers again. The barbarism that had kind of become rampant went away. They started treating each other like brothers. And when the war was over and the allies come into that prison camp to liberate that camp, the allies come in and these Scottish survivors, the Scottish soldiers, look like you know skeletons with skin wrapped around them. They lined up in front of the Japanese soldiers Instead of attacking them, they protected them. And all of those Scottish soldiers said, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Again, y'all, the depth of the depth of our love, it displays itself in sacrifice. So I'm saying to you, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life that you sacrifice for Jesus, that's clear evidence of love. If he asks you to, are you willing to give up a career that you love to serve him? And you may say to yourself, well, I really love my life here in America. I love, I love my lifestyle. I love my house. I love my car. I, I, love, I love my church. I love all, I'm really just comfortable. Y'all, I love, I love where things are right now, and I'm just comfortable. Well, let me tell you something. We're not called to be comfortable. We're not. We're not called to be comfortable. Comfortable ain't nowhere in the Bible. That's not what we're called to be. Well, okay, if the Lord calls you and asks you and impresses upon you and leads you to move to India and work in a leper colony for the rest of your life, what are you going to do then? Now, those couple of things are big things. Like, those are huge things. But what if it is something that's maybe not as big as that? Like, what if we asked you in the coming months, what if we said consider something like this? Now, look. This is just an example, but what if we said, would you consider not eating out for the next 12 months and taking that 100 or $200 and giving it to the church to help us build a building down on that land? What if we asked that? Or what if we said, and we know that we know that we know that you, you love your Saturday morning sleeping in? I know that. I get that. But what if we asked, could you sacrifice a couple of Saturday mornings a month and give those, those mornings to our generations ministry to help deliver beds to people who are sleeping on the floor. What if we said that? Y'all, sacrifice is not sacrifice if there's no sacrifice. That is profound. Somebody write that down. Sacrifice is not sacrifice if there's no sacrifice. It's not. Mother, it's not sacrifice if you ain't giving anything up. 
right? Mother Teresa said this. She said, a sacrifice to be real must cost, must hurt, and must empty ourselves. She says, give yourself fully to God. So, first ingredient with a proper relationship with Christ is loving him more than anything. And then that ingredient kind of results in numbers two and three, and number two is, is sacrificing for him. And then the third is this, following him no matter where he takes you. So his last two words in verse 19 are follow me, follow me. And so these, these few verses here, they, they paint this image in my mind, this picture kind of is mental picture in my mind that Jesus looks at Peter. Just remember, they're standing there talking, right? And so Jesus looks at Peter and he stretches out his arms. Now this is the risen Christ before the ascension. Does he have scars? Say yes. Are the holes there? Yes, they are. His resurrected body. Because Thomas had just put his finger in it, right? So he's standing there with his arms stretched out looking at Peter, and he says, when you get old, dude, Peter, this is what they're going to do to you. And so Peter's looking at him because they're standing right there together. And Jesus says, they're going to nail you to a cross. They're going to kill you, so come on and follow me. And so really, doing that is what Jesus is saying. Doing that is going to result in that. So you still want to follow me? Come on. And you can almost see in your mind that Jesus is doing that. Y'all, this is the ultimate come to Jesus moment ever. Like this is the ultimate come to Jesus moment ever. But follow him, he did. The super bold witness that the scripture paints of Peter from this point all the way through about, I think we stopped hearing about Peter in Acts 15 or 16. Faithful, tireless to his death witness for Christ. And so I believe that by his words on the shore of this sea, that Jesus was reinstating and restoring Peter as his disciple. And so those words must have been crazy encouraging and and crazy reassuring and crazy empowering for Peter despite what glory or what trial or what death kind of lay ahead for him. He would always, always, always be under the Savior's care because he'd be following his Lord. Three years earlier on that lake, Jesus had said the exact same words to Peter, follow me. Three years later, right now, he says to Peter, follow me. And all the learning, y'all, and all the miles walking on the dusty roads in Judea and all the miracles and all the stories and all the impulsiveness and all the failures, all the stupid stuff that Peter said and did it did not change the basic challenge that Jesus gave to Peter and to me and you. Follow me. Y'all, following him is not some, it's not some step in this corporate ladder. It's not. Following, it's a lifelong, I think it's on the screen. Yeah, it's a lifelong journey of faith and trust. A lifelong journey. Man, that's what sanctification is. Jesus is, is, it's a constant invitation and that constant invitation reminds us not to think so often about where we were, not to think so often about where we are, not to think so often really about where it is we're going, but for me and you to think about 
constantly think about how well are we following him. Not, not the past, not even the present, not the future, but how well are we following him? And so Jesus, in these verses, he says to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep and follow me. This is commissioning language. You know what I mean when I say that? He is commissioning Peter. And he's commissioning Peter not just to be one of his guys, but to be the leader of this band of brothers that goes out, y'all, and changes the world. I mean, these guys go out and they're faithful and they're tireless and they're courageous and they're sacrificial witnesses for Christ and every one of them get killed for it, except John. John dies of old age, we think. But all the rest of them got killed for it. So the last last thing that I want to look at today is in verse 21 and 2. When Peter saw him, and him is John, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So Peter says, what about him? It's like Peter doesn't even realize that he's got enough to deal with when he's dealing with himself, but he's like, I'm a little concerned. Jesus, I'm a little concerned. You told me that I'm gonna die. Well, does he have to die too? And the truth of the matter was this, Peter and his wife, Peter and his wife are crucified. Tradition tells us that, church history tells us that, tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he he felt like he wasn't worthy to die the same way his Lord died. So Peter and his wife are crucified. But Peter's concerned about John. And I love Jesus' answer in verse 22. What he says, it's like another way of saying, bruh, it's none of your business. Like it's none of your business if he lives until I come back. You follow me and stop being so concerned about him. And so here's this almost sub-ingredient, like, I don't know if that's the right word or not, this sort of sub-ingredient of of this proper relationship uh, with Christ, and that is following him, y'all please hear this, following him without comparing yourself with the next guy. Without comparing yourself to the next guy. Y'all don't do that. It doesn't matter what they did. And it's, it's a, it can be on both sides of the coin. You may compare yourself with this next person that's over here because in your mind, they are so much better a Christian than you are, right? Or it may be on the other side and you're like, well, I'm a way better Christian than they are. You know, but the bottom line is comparison is the death of joy. It is the absolute joy-stealing thief. Do not, and, and the world we live in with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, it is, puts that on steroids, y'all. Stop comparing yourself to the next guy. It, it, what did Jesus say? Just follow me. Just follow me. Don't worry about him. What, what is, what is if, if I want him to stay with me until I come back, what's that to you? You just follow me. And those are the, that's the same thing, y'all, that he's telling us. So here is this risen Christ, and he's restoring this relationship with Peter, and he's reminding us of what a right relationship looks like. And if you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, what is the condition of my relationship with Jesus? Here's what to consider. First, do I love him above all else? Is he the joy of my heart? Do I delight in him? Do I find my pleasure in his presence? And does that show up in the time that I spend in his word? Does that show up in the time that I spend in in prayer, do I love 
Christ more than anything else, more than my career, more than my profession, more than the nets, the boats, the fish, more than ever, do I love him more than I love myself? And number two, am I going to sacrifice? Am I willing to sacrifice for him? Even if that means that someday somebody's going to tie me up and kill me. Do I love him that much? Am I willing to take up my cross and die for him? Or are there just buckets of stuff that I'm not willing to give up at all? And then third, am I going to follow him? Am I willing to follow him? Will I follow him no matter what that means to follow him? Will I follow him no matter where he asks me to go, no matter what he asks me to do, and regardless of what he does or doesn't ask the next guy? Those questions, if you'll ask those questions, it will go a long, long, long way in defining your own, if you're honest with yourself, defining your relationship with Christ. And so I am encouraging y'all today, shoot straight with yourself. Man, get alone, get in prayer, and ask those questions to yourself. Ask yourself what is the condition of my relationship with my God. But here's what I'll tell you. You gotta have a relationship with him first. Before you can have a condition in your relationship, that didn't sound right. Before you can check the condition of your relationship, you gotta have a relationship with him, okay? I hope that makes sense. It ain't that hard, man. The gospel is simple. We've been ta- we talk about it every week. So if you don't have a relationship with him, it is, and, we, and you saw Peter's sort of life is an example of many of our lives. We say stupid stuff. We do stupid stuff. We, um, we, we sin. But then there is genuine, authentic repentance. And so that is all it is. I repent of my sin. I turn away from it and I turn towards God. I, I, I don't just turn away from the sin. I turn away from the sin. I turn towards God. And I believe in my mind, in my heart, that the death on that cross took care of all of that sin that I'm turning from and the sin that's going to happen in the future. But I really do believe that. And I just say to him, Lord, save me right now. I believe. I repent and I believe. Save me right now and he will save you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, man, that's available. So if that's you today, I want you to, y'all close your eyes, bow your heads if you would, and look, if that's you today, whether you're watching online or whether you're sitting here, just kind of say this to yourself or say it out loud. Lord, today is the day that I want to begin a relationship with you. And I trust you. I repent of my sin and I trust you and I believe, I believe your story. I believe that you did die on that cross for me. And Lord, I beg you to come and save me right now. It's Jesus' name, amen. And look, y'all, if that happened to you, you went from lost to found in a second. Like in a second, lost to found. You walked in lost, you're leaving found. Or you turned on Facebook lost and you're gonna click the end button found. And so I just would ask you, if that happened to you and you're sitting in here today, let us know on that connection card. Just fill it out, check the little box that says I got saved. We're not gonna tackle you in the parking lot. We just want to begin a conversation with you, put our arms around you. Really want to put our arms around you, but I'm social distancing. But 
but we just want to walk the journey with you because we talked about today that it is a journey, a lifelong journey of faith and trust. Let me pray one more time. And uh, let me say this as well. If you need prayer, if you want prayer, if you have anything, and if you just got, if you just made Jesus a leader and you're forgiver of your life, I would beg you to go in the back. Our prayer team is back there and they want to pray with you. It's what they do. They're prayer warriors. And if you have anything that you need prayer for, go back there and talk to them and let them pray with you. So let me say a prayer real quick and turn it back over to the worship team. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the witness that your word gives us. Lord, the truths in your word. Lord, my prayers that we would all just thirst and hunger for time with you. Primarily that time with you in the world we live in today is in prayer and being in the word, in your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to get to do that. And, Lord, we surely thank you for the opportunity to get back together physically today. And so, Father, we love you. And again, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.